Hey everyone, welcome to Our Folklore, a fashion, art, culture, and design podcast brought to you by The Folklore. The Folklore is a contemporary e-commerce destination that curates styles from Africa's top luxury and emerging designer brands. We make it easy for customers around the world to discover, order, and receive exclusive and innovative men's and women's apparel, accessories, beauty, and homeware styles from dozens of designers that had previously not been sold online. We also use our platform to elevate the stories of our designers and the creative community that fuels them. My name is Amira Rasul. I am the founder and CEO of The Folklore and the host of this podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another fabulous episode of Our Folklore. This is episode six of season two, and I am currently in a new location right now. I'm back up north for a few days. We shot our first SS21 uh, e-commerce shoot uh, this past weekend on Saturday, so I'm excited for everyone to start seeing some of those products roll out next week. And... I don't want to bore you too much with my conversation and like promotions for, you know, www.thefolklore.com. So I want to jump into uh, this this next guest, which is going to be really, really exciting. And I really enjoyed this conversation. But before that, let's get some announcements out the way. I'm excited to share some of the new content that we have on our blog this week. We recently started a new series called Kinfolk where we'll be featuring customers of the folklore and the designer pieces that they've purchased. So in the series, our customers tell us about their style, why they love, what they love about their purchase, and share their own personal stories with us. Our first customer is NYC-based social media manager, Ashley Williams, who's wearing the organza print shirt by Ghana-based brand Addo Tate. Check it out on the editorial section of the folklore and to be featured you simply have to take photos in the outfits that you purchase from us uh, and tag us on Instagram and then also use the hashtag MyFolklore and we're always looking for people. So this is a new monthly series and you know, who knows, maybe you'll be the next customer we feature. Also a reminder that we are in the last nine days of our sale. Before your favorite on sales items are gone forever, please make sure that you get them before April 1st. Because I don't even want my friends hitting my phone talking about, oh, Amira, it's sold out. I'm going to be like, oh, sis, I don't know what to tell you. So, yes. Um, and those are my friends. So imagine. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to talk to you about this next guest. So if you've been to Ghana in December, then you know that it's lit. Period. My guest this week has helped make the country uh, a must-visit place for many Black people in the diaspora, like myself. I went out there for the first time in 2019. So as the founder of Afrochella, Abdul Kareem Abdule has hosted over three of Ghana's most talked about and celebrated music events. The first Afrochella Music Festival took place in Accra in 2017, and for three years, BC, before COVID, it was the place to be at the end of the year, but particularly in 2019 the year of return, which saw the Ghana president invite members of the diaspora to visit their home continent. Afrochella was the culmination of the experience, with thousands of people from the U.S., U.K., and locally attending, many of them traveling to Africa for the first time. When I tell you the experience of being out there during the year of return, can't imagine. Uh, It's, I mean, you guys just can't imagine how, how beautiful it was and how at home you felt just being from the diaspora myself and having been the first time I visited Ghana, but not West Africa. 
It was just a completely different experience. So Afrochella was definitely um, a highlight there. So Abdul grew up splitting his time between the Bronx and Accra while studying at Syracuse University. He would organize events, book acts, and speakers for his fraternity. Abdul later created a production company with his friends throwing Afrobeats-themed parties and events around New York City, just as Afrobeats was blowing up around 2015. This was the foundation for Afrochella and the important music and cultural festival it is today. In this episode, I spoke to Abdul about creating one of the biggest cultural events in Africa and the diaspora, telling African stories through art and music, Ghana's Pan-African spirit, and what to expect from Afrochella in 2021 and beyond. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. So... First, I always start off with this question because I think it's something that people don't think about a lot, which is how do you describe yourself and then how do you describe what you do for a living? Um, So like those independent, I know like with me, I've always been like on some, whatever I do for my occupation, that's that's who I am. (laughs) I'm trying to separate myself from that. So yeah, I want you to answer that question for us. Okay. Um... Well, I do a lot of things. It's a really tough question to answer. I want to know how you describe yourself in terms of like, I'm an outgoing guy. Like, you know, I feel like we always do that where we're like, okay, yeah, what do I do for a living? That's who, that's how I describe myself. How would you describe yourself on a personal level? Okay, I would describe myself as an adventurer. Okay. Um, Someone that is curious, um, outgoing but reserved. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I would, I would use to describe myself. Okay, cool. And so yeah. let's start off by where you grew up um, and mm-hmm. what your childhood was like and how, you know, basically the things that are distinct that you remember that has kind of like made you who you are today. Uh, yes. So I grew up in several places. I grew up um, in the Bronx, New York some time in my life and I also grew up in Accra, Ghana for another part of my life and I think that each part has kind of contributed um, in different ways to who I am um, and also what I do. And so what was the um, what was the timeline yeah. there? Okay so uh, at the age of I want to say seven uh, my dad moved us to Ghana uh, he wanted us to be able to go to school there. He wanted us to get some of the culture um, that that uh, he believed we may have missed out on if we grew up here. Um, so I moved to Ghana in '95, and um, and we went to school there. We went to school there. Um, I want to say from my first grade up until just about seventh grade, I, I was in Ghana. Uh, we would come back to the U.S. every summer or every vacation uh, that my parents had the opportunity to bring us back. We'd be back and forth. Um, and then uh, just around eighth grade, as eighth grade started around 2001, I would say, yeah, I, I came back to the U.S. and uh, I started eighth grade and I, and I grew up in the Bronx all the way up until I graduated high school, Walton High School to Syracuse University. Um, and pretty much... That's that's the timeline. <laughs> cool. All right. So when you got to Syracuse, kind of what were yeah. what was your interest there? What did what did you 
study? What were like your career goals then? Yeah, so I Syracuse, um, I, I went to Syracuse wanted to be a doctor. So I was a psych major. Um, well, I was dual major psychology and biology. So I did a lot of science courses. Um, at Syracuse, you know, I, I was so, um, I guess, it was great to see Greek life. It was great to see, um, you know, Black student organizations doing stuff and activism all over campus. I think that that was very different for me uh, from what I grew up around in the Bronx, New York, or even in Ghana. So Syracuse was just kind of where I learned so much more than what I was used to in, in, in the communities that I was growing up in, in, in the Bronx or in Accra, Ghana. Okay. And so mm-hmm. when did it switch from, okay, I'm trying to be a doctor to, okay, mm-hmm. I'm interested in this like music and entertainment space? No, I think that, oh man, that's a good question. I don't think that uh, there was a switch per se, because mm-hmm. I think that I still maintain both interests. I still do stuff in, in healthcare. I do have a master's in public health. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do I do stuff, but I have a major interest in, in music and festivals because it is um, part of my culture. It is what I enjoy. It's a hobby of mine that I've been able to turn into a project that is is this uh, as big as it has gotten. Mm-hmm. So uh, while at Syracuse, though, I I did a lot of uh, events. I did, uh, you know, I remember being excited. I was just thinking about the other day. I, I brought this group up uh, from New Albany. Uh, that did uh, hip hop type plays. And mm-hmm. there was this particular show and the show was called Condom Man. And it was like a pretty good show, but it taught sexual health. Um, and it was like a cool way. And I had this philosophy that, you know, people could tie entertainment to something that they love, they might learn something. So I invited them to Syracuse and it was the first time I ever wrote a budget. It was the first time I ever booked talent. It was the first time I actually set up a whole show. Mm-hmm. Um, from start to finish. And I was just kind of so, so excited about that. And it had always um, sat on my chest as something that I always wanted to do. Um, so, you know, shortly after I joined the fraternity and being a fraternity boy, there were certain things that I had to um, kind of organize around campus, whether it was parties, whether it was events, it was concert, it was talent booking. What fraternity? So it just became you? another question. I'm a brother of five years so we're fraternity incorporated. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> blue fire to the bros <laughs> but yeah um so um because i was also part of attorney i did a lot of public speaking i did a lot of event um, planning whether it was parties concerts things that i mentioned before so i think that i was building the interests across the across the board mm-hmm. yeah. and so when you graduated you started working in public health when I graduated, I worked, uh, at that point, I still wanted to become a doctor. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I worked for Sloan, um, Sloan Kettering, which is like, at the time, was one of the foremost, um, I guess, cancer hospitals in the world. Mm-hmm. And I worked there for a couple of years. But while there, I also planned events around the city. Uh, it's when I, oh, I started my first company, mm-hmm. along with my friends. We started a company called Big Five LLC. And it was just like a production company that we used to throw Afrobeats-inspired events. I felt like all of these scenes were bubbling and people were just starting to kind of give Afrobeats is just too. So mm-hmm. we were able to kind of create Afrobeats-inspired events across the city. And we were able to kind of like build build that scene um, in New York City. And I thought, I thought it was a pretty good idea for us to be able to do that. And eventually 
we started taking people back and forth to Ghana uh, because we would go every December. So people would say, hey, what's going on in Ghana? Mm-hmm. We would shoot content, uh, you know, around our experience in Ghana, what we were doing. You know, eventually we were able to bring people back and forth with us to Ghana. So I, I would say that's how the entire trajectory started. And so that's dope. So it's summary, summary. And so what um what were you what year was this when you started throwing those parties and like what were you seeing around the time in New York that made you feel like there was there was a want for want for this? Yeah. So I when I gra- I graduated in 2010, I would say the events around Afrobeat started around 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, we um. So I, I would say around 2010, there was a very big happy hour scene um, that was happening in the city. People were doing happy hours. A lot of, a, a big popular one that Black Twitter loves to talk about. It's like Opal. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Opal was a pretty big scene. Uh, you know, people used to love it. There was Honey Lounge in New York City. People used to just come out here and, and, and really have a good time after work. It was a very young crowd that mm-hmm. would be on the happy hour scene. Uh, it, it changed to a day party scene that was more professional um, people wanted to brunch people wanted to look good outside um, and then you know there were different groups growing out of that entertainment scene you have a Duce palooza you have a um what is it piece of zoo uh you have all of these little the do-over uh niche events that started to pop up in new york city um and at the same time people had started to kind of listen to Afrobeats music, wanted to try Joe Rolf Um And I think that there was a space for us to be able to create that Afrobeat scene in New York City as well. And 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 um, and what we were able to kind of find out around 2015 is that people actually were hungry for that because there weren't that many places you could go around the city to just kind of listen to that type of music. And so were you finding that it was mostly like these first generation, like, kids or was it really like just everybody who wanted like you know black americans as well i think that it was very niche initially um there were things that existed in pockets in very niche communities so those people would celebrate their own music but i think around 2015 when we started to kind of um um, put on our type of events alongside a dj tunes or two um, I think that that brought in a, a different um, a different demographic. We started to have the African-Americans, the Hispanics that we went to college with, that we were able to build those rapports with, come in and enjoy our music as well. So it diversified, um, you know, the, 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 the crowd that we were able to kind of uh, build for our events. Okay. And so you got all of these people who you have, you know, basically been able to engage with in New York and see that there's yeah. a, desi- a desire there. So what Absolutely. makes you then go and say, let's do something on the continent? Like what made you come up with the idea for Afrochella where you're like going from, you know, bringing the diaspora, you know, um, into, you know, what what's happening on the continent to now bringing like people on the continent to what's happening in Ghana? Yeah, so, uh, you know, our events started to get really big. We were, we were doing 2,500, you know, to 3,000 people in New York City. Um, and then we would go to Ghana in December and we would, you know, turn up in Ghana and, you know, we recorded and people would just kind of like, wow, that's Ghana? 
Like this is <laughs> happening in Ghana. So people started to kind of, the interest started to peak. And as we would go, they would come with us. It started off maybe with 10. Uh, in 2015, I think we had about 10 to 20 people that came with us and we just met people. And at the time, um, there weren't that many American, there weren't that many, there were a lot of UK folks, people from Europe, but us Americans, we didn't have such a big presence. American Ghanaians didn't have such a big presence in Ghana. Mm -hmm. That changed between 2015 and like I would say 2018. I think that the boom is just kind of exponential. Um, more people started to come in. And I would say that some of that, we have something to do with that. Um, and the way we kind of, you know, kind of encourage our folks to come with us and, and they would bring their friends and so on and so forth. And that's how we were able to kind of build that space. But the idea of Africa itself came from a food festival that I wanted to create here in New York City. And I call that festival actually our native tongue. And it, it was something that I was doing in conjunction with my family business, a cry restaurant. And I, you know, at the time, at the core of it, I just felt that, you know, what described our culture and our food and just kind of everything that went around it, from the music, the fashion, the art, all of that contributed to people being able to understand our food and the feeling of this nature. So as we were bringing people, I was developing the idea and um, my partners and I, we discussed, you know, where we wanted to do it. Um, and I figured, you know, in Ghana, we would party all night. We had clubs to go to, but there weren't that many day events that people can just kind of experience mm -hmm. um, this type of vibe in December. Um, so we decided, hey, let's take a chance. And um, in 2017, I called my partner and I said, look, let's do it. And literally four days after he booked the venue and we had about seven months to be able to kind of prepare to put on the first after that's crazy y'all really came up with it and was like all right bet your friend was like all right i'm about to book this spot and then so like you had the spot book before you even really had the execution plan correct that's a fact that's okay because <laughs> uh, like, I, I think that yeah i think that one of the things that i learned that was hard over the years is that i normally kind of envision it and yeah. i work backwards i work backwards to kind of make it happen and i think that um what experience teaches you as you go forward is to kind of put the puzzles together and then kind of work that out all the way to the finished product. Uh, and I think that for me, uh, my experience and how I used to do it is just kind of like, hey, I got this big idea. I, I'm going to the finished product and I'm gonna work backwards. <laughs> so it's been, it's been um, but it was, it was a good journey. It was a good ride for us. And so you had seven months. What did yeah. you have to do within those seven months to make that first one happen it was 2015 right was the first one that was the first one was 2017 2017 so it was two yeah it was about two and a half years after we kind of started bringing more people to Ghana. um 2017 i think that what we decided to do is just kind of break it down i mean i'm a project manager and i would do i was doing that i saw kind of for several for several years at this point um i think about it was at that point it was about five to six years i was working there um so I was a seasoned project manager. So I just kind of like use that now to kind of break it down into different parts. Identified each, you know, each thing I would need. I definitely needed production. I needed somebody that could source talent. We needed a designer. We needed somebody that was going to be able to help us with bring, bring to life the decorations. Um, we needed to, you know, obviously we had a venue already. We needed to kind of figure out how the venue was going to be around the pitch, what story we're trying to tell. So we were able to break these down, identify 
all the people that we needed, come up with a budget for how much we thought we needed to spend. And we had real decisions to make because we were new, we couldn't get any sponsorship. Nobody really kind of believed um, that we were capable of doing it. There was no track history or something like that ever working in Ghana, mm-hmm. right? So it was very different for us. We had to kind of get everything on our own. Um, so yeah, so we worked from that position and uh, my partner and I, Kenny, at the time, we just said, you know what, we're just going to put our money together and just do this because we just feel like this is something that will change mm-hmm. um, how people view, you know, we will change the conversation. Uh, one of the things that was always painful is that people would come to Ghana in December. They, like, you would just get, when you get back home, you say, oh, wow, this person was in Ghana, that person was in Ghana, because you never got to connect because we partied all day and slept all night. Yeah. I mean, sorry, we, we, slept, we partied all night and slept all day. So, yeah. like, it was just, we was just never able to connect. And I felt like we could create a space where, like, we could actually see each other and we could see the amazing um, stuff that is going on in the country together and experience it together. And that's what we kind of created. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's dope. And so how much money did you end up putting into it, like, you and your partner together? And how, and how did that first one end up come, turning out? Um, the first the first Afrochello was pretty expensive for us I don't want to say that the amount but I would say I would say it was it was really expensive especially because we paid for everything we paid for the talent and at the time we did our biggest um talent was God rest her soul um Ebony Reigns she was a big um Afro-reggae artist in Ghana at the time and she was our biggest act and at the time King Promise um Quissy Arthur um, and a few others were rising stars. They weren't as big of names as they are now in Ghana, yeah. but they were rising stars and we had them and we paid for each each and every one of those. We paid for the production, the lights, the sound, all the building, the installations. So it was just like a really, really expensive thing because we didn't have a sponsor at all. Mm-hmm. So we had to pay for everything, you know, from tickets to, you know, to, to all that. So it was a pretty expensive bill, especially for people who are novices, like, I've done events, I've done parties before, but it was the first time I had we had tried our hands at like a, a festival, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and we didn't anticipate the expense that we were going to incur, uh, but you know we were able to make it happen. And so, how did that first one turn out? I, I thought we turned it. It turned out pretty well, honestly. Uh, we had targeted twenty five hundred people, and you know we had forty six hundred people Ooh. at the first one. Yeah, so we were, we just kind of totally blew our mark out of it. Like, you know what I mean? I think that we didn't know what we had. At that point, we were just, yeah. I remember the party being over and, you know, we actually cleaned it out and everybody had emptied the field. And I just remember falling to my knees mm-hmm. and just kind of saying, wow, we did it. Like, you know, we really, we really accomplished this and nobody thought we could do it. And we just really did. Um, so, yeah, uh, we our goal was for 2,500 people it was at that crab polo court and uh, we were able to kind of get 4,600 people in there and that's at that point is when we knew that we could do more because there were so many stories that we wanted to tell that we didn't have an opportunity to there were so many installation ideas that we had mm-hmm. that we couldn't execute and and we knew that and we had stopped selling tickets like literally people were lined up looking for tickets wow and my, myself and some of our other partners were just kind of totally against giving more tickets because we didn't want to sell an experience that we couldn't provide to people. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to oversell tickets and people not be able to enjoy the experience the way we wanted them to because it was our first time. 
So we had about 40 vendors and they were all local vendors. And I remember that one because I really loved it. And I remember some of the vendors, it was some of them their first time being able to vend to, to, to people. And, you know, a lot of them have since have locations now that are huge around Accra. So it's just kind of being able to grow with even, our, you know, our artist talent, uh, grow with some of our vendors and even grow with some of our artists, um, the people who drew and, and created the artwork around the spaces and seeing where they are now in 2021. It's just kind of, uh, it's just kind of all inspiring, honestly. And so there was, there was like no major festival in Ghana before this came about or across? No, there were. Okay. There were, there were. Um, there was Chaliwote, which is a major festival, local mm. festival in Accra. It's an amazing festival as well. Um, there are other festivals, there's Homo festivals all over Accra, mm-hmm. but this was, Afrochello was different in that it, it just kind of garnered a lot of international attention. So okay. um, that people were coming from the US, from the UK and all over the world, it's very different in, in the type of um, crowd that it attracts. And, and because of that, it was able to, um, it was kind of, it has position, the position is positioned itself differently than the other festivals. But there are some amazing festivals that exist in Accra right now, um, that, that exist in Ghana, not just Accra, all over Ghana, but some mm-hmm. in the West and in the North. Um, and they exist and, and they do pretty well and, and they bring their own crowd, but I was just happy to bring um, a whole new subset of people from all over the world. Sometimes some of them are also first time ever travelers that came to Ghana specifically for our festival, which is pretty different. And was that the intended purpose to really make it something that was more that would more so attract those international people to come? Like when you curated the lineup and even, Mm -hmm. you know, moving past the 2017 one as you continue to host them uh, annually, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. So yes and no. Um, Yes, because. What we wanted to do was figure out a way to force conversation between the diaspora and the people on the continent. I just thought that there was just some amazing content, um, talent right here in Ghana that needed to, that needed some support from individuals that are like them, that are doing amazing things in the diaspora as well and around the world. And I, we felt that if we could create a space where we could connect and share ideas and things of that nature, that we would be able to kind of force conversation. So in a sense, we designed it that way. Um, we designed it in a way that it would attract those people that were familiar but were nervous but could um, could find could find comfortability in what we were creating. But we also wanted to make it very authentic so that the people on the ground enjoyed it as well. So mm-hmm. we were able to find that balance. Yeah, we were able and, to find that balance. And I feel like it it makes sense that it's that that was your goal based off of just like the history of Ghana and and yeah. Pan Africanism when you have like yeah. people like Kwame Nkrumah where that was like he's one of the like most notable figures in pan-Africanism and really trying to unite black people from the diaspora and around the world yeah. and so do you think that 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 Ghana in particular has that like spirit of pan-Africanism that makes people like yourself and 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 other talented individuals really you know um go out of their way to create opportunities like this and to connect people globally black people globally i think ghana is just a welcoming place right our people are very warm um they're very welcoming they're curious they want to get to know people they want to get to know things 
uh, right? Um, and it's just befitting for um, for people to just come in and be able to assimilate the people speak English. Everywhere you go, this English is very comfortable for people to come into Ghana and 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 have a good time and 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 be able to find vibes that they are very familiar with. Our people are also very curious about the outside, so they always want to be able to connect people that are from there. Um, so yes, um, I can say the answer to your question is yes. I think that Ghana creates an environment for us to um, for us to be to 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 invite people back. But you know, there are some things that we are still kind of overcoming, and, and, and the people and the government themselves have been willing to kind of address those barriers to kind of make it even more comfortable to bring more people in. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a great job of, of that and exemplifying like the how warm the country is and, and everyone is with the year of return and how deliberate they are mm -hmm. in making sure that, you know, there's a gap that's being, um, there's a bridge to that to that gap between the diaspora and, uh, and Ghana. So can you tell me about the year of return and your role in it, um, and in particular, how Afrochella that year, uh, for everyone who doesn't know, the year of return happened in 2020, where is it? 2019. 2019. Right, yeah. So um, I know a lot of people are probably familiar with the 1619 project. So it's the 1619 project was talking about that first uh, settlement of slaves that were transported from West Africa to um, to to the United States, but in Jamestown specifically. So, in um, in 2019, Ghana's government Ghana's government declared 2019 the year return because it marked 400 years since that first voyage, um, right? And and it was a way for people to return back home, um, um, you know, uh, as a heritage. So, um, in 2019, Ghana welcomed people from the diaspora to come back. Uh, in Ghana, when you visit the slave castles in, in, in specifically Cape Coast, there's this um, there's this one specific area that was the last thing that slaves saw before they left the castle. Um, and there's this thing written at the top, which is like the door of no return. So it was the last time once they go through that wall, they would be on the ships and then they would bring them back into slavery. So it was the last time slaves would actually um, see Ghana. So uh, what Ghana's government did was create, um, there's this door now at the Cape Coast Castle that says the door of return. And there was a ceremony where a slave's, um, a former slave's body was transported across the Atlantic back through that door um, and was buried. And there was a ceremony created uh, through that door. And it was a way to kind of open um, the, the, the Ghana to uh, people from the diaspora uh, to come back and visit Ghana and be able to kind of, um, you know, be welcomed into into Ghana as as their home, um, because ideally any black person that comes back to Africa, anywhere they choose, they should feel as if they're home. Yeah, I mean, especially because so many of us who ended up here, who have generations from um, generations of their family, have been, um, you know, born in the U.S. They most likely came from. Ghana and a, a small number of West African countries. So, yeah. Uh, and I feel like even, and I spend a lot of time in South Africa, um, but I feel like I definitely felt a different feeling coming to Ghana than I did South Africa. Uh, yeah. I know, so I, I, my first year going to Ghana, going to Accra was when 
uh, we, the year of return actually. So I went with my sister mm-hmm. and actually, you know, attended Afrochella. And I was just like, is this Ghana every year? Or like, I was like, wait a second. First of all, is that Beyonce mama? And then second of all, I was like, and what? And it's like, I was seeing people who I hadn't seen in New York in a minute. Like I was seeing so many American people and I was just like, yo, this is crazy. Like I felt like so many different, just like celebrities or people that I've talked to on social media, but never met in person. Um, So how was it? what was the difference that year compared to like previous years when it comes to like um how it usually is for like people coming home in December and 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 that vibe the only thing that was different is that there were more Americans okay but otherwise otherwise Ghana is lit every year (laughs) oh it's like like that every year it's like that every year it was like that it's just that in 2019, we just had a significantly a lot more Americans that came to Ghana, like mm-hmm. significant, very, very big. Like everywhere you turn, there were Americans from all over America, yeah. not just not just the East Coast, uh, not just the West Coast, but like the Midwest. I was just kind of amazed by the amount and the caliber of people that came. Um, some people, as I mentioned before, like it was their first time ever getting a passport and they came to Ghana. And that just shows that, you know, people were so interested in connecting back home, connecting to, um, you know, to what it feels like to be back in Africa, you know, getting to know something about, you know, um, uh, Black history outside of what we've been taught is Black history here in America, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and, uh, you know, amid everything that was going on here in America, you know, so racial injustice, uh, you know, people being killed, um, unarmed, you know, so people, it was just a time for people to just kind of get a break and come back and celebrate Blackness, celebrate being, you know, being celebrated as a king. And that's what our festival was able to do for people. And that's what kind of, I, I believe, the message that resonated with people and why they chose to come back. And there's also something about Ghana opening its arms to everyone that is within the diaspora to say, hey, this is home for you. Come and visit. Come and see what we have to offer. Our people want to meet you. Uh, we love you here. You look like us. You know, come, 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 come and support. Come, come to Ghana. And 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 people were able to kind of uh, answer that call graciously. Yeah, I, th- I'm still shocked that you said it's like that every year because I know that I left Ghana. I don't use. I don't lose my voice often, but yeah. I left Ghana and I had lost my voice. I, mm-hmm. I don't even know when I was screaming, but I, I just know that like I just kept hearing that song, party after party. Party, party. hey, <laughs> party after party. Yeah, he was one of our artists. Um, but I mean, Ghana's like that. And I, and I mentioned before, like we used to party all night until the morning, oh, until the sun came up it. in the past. Yes. And, and we just sleep all day. But now you have to party all night and be able to you know, get that two minute napping because there's so many day events that you can go as well, which is very different than it used to be. So yeah, it definitely is a marathon once you go to Ghana in December and you're able to kind of have so many different experiences. There's art shows, there are, you know, local restaurants that you can try, there's nightclubs, there's hookah bars, there's so many different experiences, festivals, different parties, concerts. It's just an opportunity for people to just enjoy themselves. So yeah, Ghana is like that and also, I, I would say because it's so welcoming, it feels so free, the people are so nice. I think that it just kind of encourages people to come in. We also happen to be 
you know, very fortunate to be uh, planning Afrochella and building our, our Afrochella when uh, Essence was also beginning their heritages uh, mm-hmm. to Ghana as well. And um, the, our, our story resonated with them and we were able to kind of, um, I guess, uh, have them come in in 2018 and they had such a great time. They wanted to come back in 2019. And I think that people just kind of seeing them enjoy themselves at Afrochella mm-hmm. because we didn't have any, at the time, we didn't have any of the major, major artists, but okay. that was the point. The whole point was to introduce people to music. I think that's our philosophy also around um, around you know the way we wanted to approach our music it was just mm-hmm. kind of having them experience the music the same way that the artists were trying to put it out and enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. I think it encouraged people to want to come back um, to Ghana and, and and be able to experience that for themselves. I mean, yeah, I I wanted to come back because I yeah. you know if COVID would have happened, I ended up just going to South Africa instead because I was like, let me just stay in one place if I'm gonna go anywhere. Um, but yeah. I I just know that like. One night I came, not one night, I went out probably in the middle of the day, starting with a few day parties. I think I came back for 20 minutes to change at the hotel. And then I didn't come back to the hotel until like 6 a.m. when they were serving breakfast. And I was just like, what is this life? I didn't even (laughs) see, I didn't even see the, I didn't even really see Ghana or sit down at any restaurants. I think I just partied the entire time. And I was like, I need to come back now and actually like see Ghana, like actually experience Ghana, like removed from like this insane party scene that, you know, I'm getting too old. That it is. Yeah, no, you definitely have to come back. We're giving people different experiences now. So people can come in and actually party. If you really want to party, Ghana, we party. Uh, but if you also just want to kind of relax and, and have a good time, there's opportunities for you to be able to have both experiences. Like there's so many nice beach houses and little getaways that you can experience when you come to Ghana outside of parties as well. But yeah, we party hard. We party hard. I, think, I also think it's because of where everybody's coming from. Like, so yeah. Americans want to show we party hard. The British want to show they party hard. The French, you know, everybody has their, their own experience that they bring in. And, People are getting to know each other for the first time, learning new experiences from Black people that look like them, but just kind of grew up in a different setting. So it's just kind of like an interesting time to connect. So how did it? How did things change after the year of re, year of return um, in in Ghana? I know like it probably helped tourism a lot. Like how how is everything looking after? I know COVID, you know, has definitely you know changed up how things could have been like the following year. But like, yeah. um, how how are you thinking that? the year of return has changed things and, and what's it going to look like moving forward when it comes to, you know, uh, tourism, when it comes to, you know, being able to continue to grow that um, relationship between the diaspora and Ghana. Yeah, I think that had enough for COVID. We would have had a huge year in 2020. Um, a lot of people were really, 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 really anticipating the trip to Ghana. They wanted to kind of experience what so many people experienced before during the year of return. I think that also has encouraged people to look at other parts of Africa that they're also willing to visit. And now that other people have done it, I think that more people are encouraged to try something that they probably otherwise uh, would be nervous to try because they don't know anyone that has gone. But there's so many people that have gone and had such a great experience that I think that um, we are primed for more people to come and visit. And, and the government itself, is very encouraged. A lot of African governments do not necessarily kind of focus on tourism as another opportunity to kind of raise uh, funds for the country. And, and I think that what Ghana was able to experience in the final quarter of 20, 2019 
was something that kind of changed the government's uh, thoughts on the way tourism can affect change in the country and, uh, and also help boost the country's economy. So the new, the new government actually is doing a focus even locally, you know, to encourage people locally to tour the different parts of Ghana and hopefully give more people opportunity that come into Ghana to just see beyond the crowd and be and make it more accessible for people. So I think that you know it has changed Ghana for the better. Um, it also changes people's mind around the world about you know what a vacation to Africa could look like, what experiences in Africa are like, you know. Um, and and I think more people are willing to to to, to visit. In my opinion, and I think that once we're able to kind of get up and running again, and the world gets back to close to normal, I think that we we will be able to kind of encourage more people to visit Ghana and visit Africa, you know. Dope. Yeah, I, I believe it. I know that I've, I'm always like, I will pay to go travel to Africa. But when it comes to Europe, it's like somebody got to be paying for me to go to Europe. Like, you know, I want to make sure that <laughs> I'm spending my money responsibly and knowing mm. that like I can go and travel around the continent and be able to like mm. be embraced by my people and have a great time. Um, that's something that I value and that I, I'm thinking that, you know, based off of just what I saw at the year of return, a lot of people are valuing as well. So what, are, is, yeah. what is the plan for Afrochella moving forward? Uh, you're doing, you know, uh, I'm assuming you'll have another festival um, next year once things are, you know, a little bit um, better in terms of COVID. Uh, but what are, yeah. you, you know, let's talk about that, but let's also talk about expansion beyond just like music festivals. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, at its core, we want to be able to tell stories, African stories um, in food and music and art and fashion. And uh, in 2019, we also took our shot at digital, um, digital opportunities that we created, uh, interviewing chefs across, uh, you know, Africa. We had some in Ghana, we had some in South Africa, talking about African cuisine and their approach to making African cuisine. I think that was pretty interesting. We also did some talks with visual artists just kind of understanding their approach to creating artwork and, and creating art content in general. Um, and, and also now we're working on music and fashion as well. Uh, at its core, we want to be able to tell these stories and highlight some of these creators in the diaspora. So we are continuing to do that and take that to the next level. Uh, last year for 2020, we were able to kind of work with Ghana's Ministry of Tourism to kind of create a block party that was socially distanced. We had people being able to test in order to be able to you know, come into the space and we had some performances and we were able to broadcast to the whole of Ghana and went on YouTube live that about 15,000 people watch. And I think that that was pretty um, exciting. So we're exploring new ways to kind of elevate our experiences beyond just physical ones, but uh, physical experiences in Ghana itself. Um, so um, the hope is that we continue that in 2021. Um, up until we're able to kind of create uh, that that in-person experience um, again in 2022. Dope. And so what do you, yeah. what do you, how does the community support in what Afrochella is doing uh, right now beyond just the festival? Where can we visit you? What can, what are the things that we can do? Absolutely. Uh, you can visit us at afrochella.com. Um, all the information and any articles need to know about us you can find there anything info information about us can be found on our website as well we're also on twitter and instagram 
at Afrochella. Um, but yeah, we would love for you guys to amplify our voices across the social platforms, visit us in Ghana, um, access any questions that you have about visiting Africa, buy some merch. Uh, we have some merch on our website right now. We have a limited edition Ghana jersey available right now that's hot. That I think people should go and check out as well. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of Our Folklore with Abdul, the founder of Afrochella. This episode really brought back great memories of my first trip to Ghana during the year of return, seeing everybody I know and they mama, literally they mama, um, from New York at Afrochella and in Accra was amazing. It was a surreal experience and I can't wait for Afrochella to return because I will be there when we are able to safely travel again. If you haven't already, definitely add Ghana to your travel list and make sure to follow Afrochella on Instagram at Afrochella for info on events and, you know, more ways that you can support. Also, follow your girl, Amira, A-M-I-R-A-R-A-S-O-O-L on Instagram and Twitter. To stay up to date with the Our Folklore podcast, make sure to subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And check back in every Wednesday for a new episode. To find out more about the people discussed in each episode and to shop styles from Africa and the diaspora's top luxury and emerging designer brands, visit thefolklore.com. Sign up for our email newsletter to receive 10% off of your first order. Also, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Folklore. Again, my name is Amira Rasul, and this is Our Folklore.